Jeff, <clears throat> here to learn from the Word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Hope everybody had a good week. Uh, yeah, I am going to speak a little bit on the holiness of God and and uh, worship, and hopefully I do it justice and don't confuse you completely. Uh, so, the holiness of God. Let me uh, let me first read from uh, Isaiah uh, real quick. Let me get to that. I apologize. I should have had it uh, marked ahead of time. And I did not. Isaiah chapter 6. No, that's Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1. I believe it goes through uh, verse 5 I'll read. Uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and His robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above Him. Each one had six wings. With two He covered His face. With two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. And one called to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, So, uh, I guess a a good question is, what what exactly is holiness? Uh, Webster's uh, 1828 Dictionary defines the word holy as uh, applied to God as perfectly pure, immaculate and complete in moral character. I think we all can agree that God is complete in moral character. Uh, And in in the Hebrew, holy means to be set apart. Uh, The primary definition of the holiness of God is the otherness of God. In other words, he is fundamentally set apart from all that he has created. Uh, I can remember growing up, people used to say, oh, God is in everything. God is everything. And, And that's fundamentally untrue uh, God is not the trees he's not the rocks he's not the earth God is God and he is set apart from everything um, in verse 1 of Isaiah uh, we read of chapter 6 we read uh, that the train of God's robe filled the temple and the reason that that's important there is because in uh, in the culture back then uh, in the Mideast uh, the length of one's robe, the train of their robe, signified how important that person was. Uh, so if somebody came in, and e- even the cloth that the train was made out of, if it was made out of silk or satin, that meant they were very high royalty. If it was made out of uh, burlap, probably not that important. <laughs> but uh, so the, And the monarchs in ancient times, they, that was a measure of their status. Uh, and even the material showed their importance. Uh, when Isaiah saw that the train of Yahweh's robe was filling the temple, he knew the majesty of God was incomparable to any earthly king. Uh, God, God is unmatched in his holiness, in his importance, in his majesty. Uh, there's nobody that even comes close to God uh, back then or today. Uh, and verse 2 uh, shows us that the seraphim or angels had to cover their faces while in the direct presence of God. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God to let him see his face. And then in verse 20, uh, God says, uh, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Uh, We read elsewhere that after just seeing the trailing off of God's glory, that Moses 
his face shone so brightly that he had to wear a veil to cover his face because he, as he was coming back down the mountain, uh, when the people saw him, they were, they were frightened. I mean, you see this guy or this glowing figure coming down out of the mountain, and of course, you're going to be a little bit afraid, right? Uh, so he had to wear a veil to cover that up. Now in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 6, the angels call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Uh, and that, the, the, them saying holy, holy, holy three times, saying holy three times is important because uh, repetition is used in the Bible to call attention to something that is uniquely important. And this is the only attribute of God given this threefold repetition and it's coming from the mouths of angels. Uh, it is not only important how we worship or who we worship, how we worship, but who we worship as well. And that's even, that's the most important thing is who we worship. Uh, Exodus uh, 20, uh, I actually marked this one, so. In Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 through 5. All right. Well, I had it marked last night. So I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Uh, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their father's sins to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing faithful love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Um, and it also says there uh, in Exodus 34, 14, uh, that God is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14 states that you are to never bow down to another God because the Lord being jealous by nature is a jealous God. Oh, darn it. I was going to read something there. Uh, and the word jealous there can also be uh, translated as zealous. And I wanted to read this little commentary in here. It says the Hebrew word kwana, I think I'm saying that right. I'm not positive. But <laughs> translated in many versions as jealous can also be translated as zealous. The term describes God's expectation that human beings will make him their highest priority in life, loving him with all their heart, soul, and strength. As creator of the universe and all life, God has the right to expect people to value him most highly. This type of jealousy is not a bad thing. It is a proper. It is proper in a marriage. A wife or husband expects the spouse to be faithful in thought, word, and deed, and would be rightly upset should the spouse prove unfaithful. The Israelite prophets sometimes compared God's relationship to his people in his covenant to, mar uh, to a marriage. Uh, so what does it mean to fear God? So, so we, we, we can only worship one God. We can only worship the one true God, correct? Um, and when, when all this, the holiness of God is related to how we worship because, uh, because God is so holy, we, have to, we need to have a reverential awe. We, the Bible says to fear the Lord your God. Uh, but what, what does it mean to fear God? And it's not a fear of being punished, but it's, uh, it's a fear of, I'm um, sorry, 
it is, it's not a fear of being punished, such as, say, a prisoner in medieval times would have when he was punished for his crimes, but rather that of a child who has tremendous love and respect for his father and mother and would do anything to please them and has great anxiety that they might offend their parent. It's a sense of awe and respect for the majesty of God, something that is greatly lacking in much of Christianity today and in worship. Uh, being... Being flippant and cavalier with God seems to be the norm today. Uh, God, God tells us to worship in a certain way. We have, he has standards for how we worship Him. Uh, there's a story uh, in the book of uh, Exodus, I believe, where Aaron's two sons offer uh, what they called strange fire to God. They, they worshiped Him in, in a manner that God did not uh, ordain. And God killed them right there on the spot. And they were... Uh, burned alive and that makes me think of it reminds me of when I was a kid my parents used to go on their uh, anniversary trip to uh, Monterey every every February and they would leave me and my sister home by ourselves which looking back was probably a very bad idea and if they had known some of the things that me and my sister did they would never have done that <laughs> and one and one day one, one of the years they went uh, I was trying to get the fire going we had a Ben Franklin fireplace uh, cast iron stove and I couldn't get the fire going so I thought well I, I know how to do this so I went out and got a uh, my dad used to drink MJB coffee and they came in the, the little tin cans back then and so I went out to the garage and I got just a little bit of gas and put in that can and there were some coals in the fire so I thought nope this will get it going <laughs> so I went back into the house and I took it and I squatted down I tossed it in there and about five minutes later after I woke back up I was about 10 feet away from the fireplace and had a new respect for uh, gasoline and coals, hot coals. <laughs> and, my, and my sister was yelling at me as I was laying there on the floor. <laughs> so so and I think of that and I think, you know, this is the same respect that we need to have for God because God is infinitely more powerful than gasoline and fire. And that's not to say that God's anger is volatile because God is slow uh, to anger, Correct. Uh, but he does punish us eventually. And so if we're not worshiping him in the correct manner, uh, then that's something we have to look at. We need to come before God with a reverential fear, a reverential awe, knowing that God can punish us at any time, and he has every right to do so because we are his creation and we belong to him. Um, sorry. Uh, so the relationship that we as Christians have with God is not a casual one. He is the creator of the universe and, it, and all that it contains. While we are invited to call him Abba, Father, and to have personal intimacy promised to us, we should always maintain a healthy respect and adoration for him. As Hebrews 10.31 states, it is a frightening thing to fall into the hands of a living God. As sinners, we have good reason to fear God's judgment. It should motivate us to be reconciled with God. And the only way that we can be reconciled with God is through His Son, Jesus Christ, because we are at enmity with God. And in order to have that communion with God again, we need to come to Jesus Christ and ask God to forgive our sins, because we're all sinners, uh, and God wants us to come to Him. Uh, Jesus, Christ, He sent His Son to die for us. And I wanted to read one more thing, and then I will conclude uh, this was from a uh, 
a message in Ligonier Ministries. If you've never heard of Ligonier Ministries, it's a great ministry created by uh, R.C. Sprawl, uh, who is no longer with us. And this is just a short uh, excerpt. Uh, it says, The how question of worship is related to the other questions usually pursued by the journalists who seek to unwrap the details of a particular story. They ask the questions, who, what, where, when, and how. In like manner, the best place for us to answer the how question of worship is to begin with the who question. Manifestly, the most important question we ask, who is it that we are called upon to worship with our hearts, our minds, and our souls? The answer to that question at first glance is exceedingly easy from a Christian perspective. The obvious reply is that we are called upon to worship the triune God as any as easy as this answer is on the surface, when we see the concern given to this question throughout the Old and New Testaments, we realize that as the fallen creatures, it is one of our most basic and fundamental inclinations to worship something or someone other than the true God. It's not by accident that the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments focus attention on the true God whom we are to worship according to His being. The New Testament likewise calls us to honor God with true worship. Paul reminds us that at the heart of, all, of our fallenness is a refusal to honor God as God or to show proper gratitude to Him with praise and thanksgiving. So it is imperative that the Christian, at the beginning of his pursuit to understand what true worship is, gets it clear that the object of our worship is to be God and God alone. And uh, so, and whenever we do it, we can worship God anytime. It doesn't just have to be on Sunday. Uh, but we have to be mindful of how we approach God. Uh, not flippantly or uh, with cavalier, but knowing that He's the creator of the universe. And it's kind of like uh, if you got an invitation to go visit the King of England. You could say King of England now because well, Queen Elizabeth passed away. Uh, you could say if you got an invitation, you would not just go in there and say your worst clothing uh, and just being rude and obnoxious. You go in with knowing that this guy could have you thrown in prison. He could have many things done to you. It's the same way with God. We need to realize that God is so majestic and so holy that we need to come to before him uh, with reverence and awe and, and, and just praise him for being who he is. Uh, and so that concludes my, my talk. I think... Uh, Thank you, Jeffrey. So the holiness of God, and it, there's no doubt that the fact that God is so other, that He's so different than us, should make us desire to be near to Him. He's not like anything else that He has made. So when God draws you near to Him, He's drawing you near to the Creator of all things. He's drawing you near is something that you're not going to find anywhere else. And so to have a, a reverent attitude, a humble heart towards God is important. In fact, if it's not for the work for Jesus, of Jesus Christ, the work that he did on the cross, we would have no business being in the presence of God at all. It's the sacrifice that Jesus made at Calvary that washes away the blood of those who trust in him, or the sins of those who trust in him with his holy blood. 
so that we can be in the presence of a, ma- a majestic and a powerful God like that and to be near holiness without being consumed, without being destroyed. So we're grateful for Jesus and all that he has done for us and, and we want to worship our God and part of the way that we worship him is by following his commands and one of those commands is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and that's part of what we're here for today.